Our Father, we thank you for this time. We praise your name. Lord, we're so excited as we have a chance now to look into your word. And I pray that you'd open it up for us, that you would challenge our hearts today here as we look into it. Father, I pray for decisions that are made here today. I pray for those that need to make decisions, that you would lead them to where you want them to be. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? Now, don't forget, next week, we're having the, um, the special event on Saturday where um, some kids that don't normally come to church here will be here, and hopefully their families will come on Sunday morning. So you guys plan to be here, and when you see somebody that you don't know, that you recognize as new, make them feel welcome, okay? Don't just leave that to those that are greeters officially, but all of us need to be a part of that and make them feel welcome here at the church. You know, people talk about the, what is hard or difficult about the Christian life, and there's an, any number of things that you might um, fill in the blank with if you were asked what's the hardest thing about the Christian life. I'm sure a lot of people would say faith, just trusting the Lord on an everyday basis. And I would agree with that. But I think if I were to answer the question, I would say the hardest thing about the Christian life is being consistent. Um, consistency is the, the issue, I think, for most Christians. And that is that um, it's hard to, to maintain a life of obedience and a life of faith and trusting the Lord through your everyday problems. It's hard to be faithful sometimes over the long haul. We all have periods of spiritual highs, and then we have periods of spiritual lows. We are fervent and um, just on fire for the Lord, and then all of a sudden something happens in our lives, and we find ourselves uh, not so excited and not so fervent and not so committed anymore. And we go through those times where our passion for the Lord seems to wane or grow cold. And I, uh, I understand that because I don't believe that there's a Christian alive that hasn't gone through that to some degree or other. So I would say that consistency, being able to maintain a level of obedience and walking with the Lord and, and being involved in the things of God and the things of the kingdom of God, uh, that I think is part of the Christian's bigger problem. Now, whenever that happens, we all end up blaming somebody or something for that problem. It's easy to say, well, because of this event that occurred, my walk with the Lord has fallen to the wayside or because of an, uh, you know, a divorce or something or somebody's fault or something's fault that causes us to be that way. But when you get right down to it, the real issue is this, that we have become what I would call in, our, as in regard to our obedience and commitment to the Lord, we are approaching it in a half-hearted fashion. We are not completely sold out. We're not completely committed. We're uh, approaching the Christian life with sort of a uh, lackadaisical point of view and approach, and we become sort of lukewarm and half-hearted in the way we do it. We're riding the fence, or we do just enough to get by. Um, I think that's true sometimes of all of us. Now, there are a lot of different reasons for that, and some today we're going to look at some of these, and then we're going to look at some of the solutions for that. And, and when you get into your groups tonight, those of you that are in small groups, you will have the opportunity to talk about this further, to talk about some of the reasons why you think that we as Christians struggle with being consistent in our obedience to the Lord. But then you'll also have the opportunity to add to some of the things that you think might help us 
And I, I want you to do that in your discussion time. You know, be honest about your struggles. And as a group, talk about it. Talk about what you can do to change it, to make it better, and to have some victory over a longer period of time in your life rather than just being victim of the highs and the lows that we seem to always go through. Now, there's a perfect example of what I'm talking about found here in the book of Joshua. We're continuing this study now in the book of Joshua. We've come to this period of time where they have finished basically the military campaign in the land. They've been fighting now for seven years and it's come to an end. And their responsibility or their task before them is this. God says to them, you have finished the major battles. Some 31 kings have been killed. That means that 31 armies have been defeated. They have basically subdued the land. But now, after seven years of fighting, God says to them, there are going to be major pockets of the enemy that are still in the land. We're going to divide it up according to the 12 tribes of the, of the Israelites. And uh, each tribe will have their allotment in the land of Israel. And they're to go in and, and, and possess the land. And when they do, there will be some enemies still left in there. And you're to wipe them out and get rid of it. You're to clean it out. This is my, my command to you as a nation. This is what I've called you to do. And as fate would have it, they didn't. They didn't do it. Now, I want to begin with Joshua 11, verse 23. Here's the statement that um, where they are at this point in their history. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. Now those are the major battles. It's over with, guys, the major campaigns. We can all divide up the land, take your land, and go in and finish the job and get rid of those little pockets of resistance. Now, like I said, they didn't. Let me show you. I just want to run you through some verses real quick. To help you to see that. For example, in Joshua 13:1, when Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, "You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over." So, well into Joshua's life now, they are still trying to take over and possess the areas that they have been given. Here's another example: Joshua 13:13. 13, 13 says, but the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur or Mekah, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. Now, to this day means when this book was written. But they were still there, even after Joshua was long gone, they are still there. In, verse six, in chapter 16.10 of Joshua, it says this, they did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer, to this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim and are required to do forced labor. Another situation where they could not get them out of the land completely. Just a couple of more. In Joshua 17:12, it says, Yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. So there's another tribe unable to get their enemy out of their land that they were to possess. And then finally, in chapter 18, verse 3, it says, So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait?
before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? Now, this is a pointed question. How long are you going to wait until you finish the job? How long are you going to wait until your obedience is complete? How long before you get over this half-hearted attitude of not doing what God has told you to do? Because you see, their problem was the same problem that you and I have. And the same thing that Joshua says to them could be said to us today. What are you waiting for? There's land to be taken. There's God's possession to be experienced and appreciated and lived out. What are you waiting for? Because you see, sometimes with you and me, and I'm speaking as much to me as I am anyone else, there's a difference in what God wants and what we give him. There's a difference in what God is asking for or commanding and what we're willing to let him have. And just like here, there are always little pockets in our lives where we withhold our obedience. Our devotion to God, our fervor for God, our commitment is half-hearted at best sometimes. And we're not a whole lot different than these guys because remember, if, you, if I take you back into this for a moment and repeat to you one more time this imagery, this type, when they came out of Egypt, it was a picture to the church of the salvation of the Israelites. God went into Egypt, redeemed them, and brought them through the Red Sea, and they were his people. But he said to them, from this point on now, there's going to be fighting that you have to endure in order to really appreciate and experience what I have for you, to understand and go through and experience my best for you, then you're going to have to fight in this land. And to us, the Christian life is no different. With our faith and with our obedience, we go in and we fight in the Christian life. We encounter the obstacles, the enemies of life, the temptations, the spiritual forces, all the things that we encounter here in this life. It's all part of it. And I think sometimes we believe that because we're Christians that these things have now ended and that we can just enjoy the land. And God's basically saying to you and me, as I'll show you in a moment, there's so much more that I want you to have. There's so much more that I want you to experience and so much more that is there for you. But it's going to require that you trust me to take you into this and that you obey me every step of the way. And when you back away from that and your obedience is half-hearted and incomplete, then you will not experience my best for you. And unfortunately, this is where a lot of us are in our walk with the Lord. And God says to us, I have so many things for you. I have the fruit of the Spirit that is yours for the taking. If you obey me, you'll have peace. You'll experience joy no matter what's going on in your life. You'll experience love for people that you've never had before. I'll give you patience and hope and all these things that I, through my spirit working in you, I will pour out into your life. But it requires you walking with me. You want to be faithful in ministry. You want to, you sit back sometimes and you think, boy, I'd really like to be involved. I, I wish I could do something for God that would make me feel as though I'm useful. God says, I've got that for you. You're too scared to go. But if you obey me, I'll take you there. And you'll be glad once you're there because I will show you what I can do in your life, things you've never thought possible. 
if you'll just step out and take some risks and trust me. I can take you there, but it's going to require your faith and your obedience. Now, I want to look at two questions here today, mainly. Here are the two questions I'm going to hopefully attempt to answer here, okay? Number one is this, and we're going to deal with this one first, but let me just tell you what they are. We're going to talk about this question. Why are we content with partial obedience? Why are we content with that? Now, the second question that I'm going to talk to you about is how do we overcome that or some of the solutions to that? I'm going to share with you a couple of thoughts. But like I said earlier, I want you to be thinking of answers to this, these two questions. Because I'm not going to cover everything that you might be thinking of, but tonight when you're talking about these in your groups, then talk about, okay, in your life, why do you struggle with being fully committed and having a passion for God and being devoted to God and being obedient to the Lord? Why do you struggle with that? And maybe it'll help somebody else. But you're going to have to be honest and speak up. And then we're going to talk about as a group, well, okay, what do we do about this? How do we help each other? with this because that's really what we want to do but let me jump into this first question why are we content with partial obedience why do we put up with it because you see we all do we all put up with it we all accept it and we all just kind of go our merry way and not ever fully obeying fully doing what god has called us to do i want to share with you four things that i they come to my mind at least, okay? These are four things that I would give you as far as an answer of why we tend to be content with it. Number one is because we're tired. We're tired. You know, they had been fighting for seven years, and they were ready to stop. Think about this. Every time they went from one area of battle to the other, they had to pull everything up, tents, tabernacle, everything, and head out to where they're going to fight the next battle. Seven years of this, of this, and they're tired. I can't blame them, but they want a break. They are physically and emotionally and probably spiritually drained. And that's easily understood because most of us experience at some point in our life the same thing. You know, many of us here this morning have been believers for a lot of years. We really have. I look at some of your faces, and I know your testimonies, and I know your life. And I know that you've been walking with the Lord for many years. And I also know that uh, there have been years in which we have served the Lord in many different areas. We've been faithful to the Lord. Some of you, I can look out and just thank you for your faithfulness to this church. And I know that your walk with the Lord is what it should be. But I also know, and this is true of all of us, that there have been periods in our lives where we have sort of, fallen by the wayside. We weren't as faithful as we should have been. We grew tired. We're tired of doing that. We're tired of always having to put up with this. And so we just sent, uh, we just tend to let things slide. And it's not as important to us as it once was. I want to tell you something. This is one of the pitfalls of growing old. Okay? It really is. Because when we grow old, this is one of the things that I believe as I have observed in my life and the lives of other people that we've got to be careful of because we grow tired. And I'm not saying that because we're tired that that doesn't matter. It does matter. And when, oh, the things that we have always been involved in, God doesn't say that you can't change that. 
What God is saying to you is this, is that until the day you die, I will always be leading you into the land. I will always be leading you into victory. And I'm always going to be putting you in positions where you're going to have to obey. Now, that will be different from time to time, and that's okay. That's the way it should be. And we can change our perspective and our ministry and our involvement. But when we grow tired and we just stop and we do nothing, i got to tell you something. That there's a problem there. And you and I have to answer this question. Are we satisfied? Are we satisfied with who we are and what we've been doing and what we're doing now? as an individual. It's the satisfaction of just getting to the point of being tired and just not caring that I want to warn you against. Now, I don't always know the answer to that. I don't always know the antidote to that, but um, I'm, I'm observing at least and acknowledging that sometimes we're just content to do nothing simply because we're tired. We'll talk about how to remedy some of this in a moment, but here's the second thing that I've noticed in my life and the lives of other people. Why we get content or are content with partial obedience, and that is this, that we rely too much on past achievements. We look back at our lives and we're content with what we've done. That's enough. You see, I think this is part of what Israel had done. They were well into the seven years and they had looked at all the 31 kings and the 31 armies that they had defeated and they're real proud of themselves. And, and they have every right to do and every right to think that's enough. You know, what we've done, we have accomplished a great deal and, and we're content with that and we don't want to go any further. But that wasn't what God had in mind because God said, no, it's not finished. And how long are you going to wait to possess what I have given you? How long? And see, the same thing happens with you and me. We get to a point in our life where we look back at our our lives and we look at all the things we've been involved in. And I've heard people say more often than I really want to hear, back in the day, I did such and such. I was so involved in church, and back in the day, I used to teach Sunday school, and back in the day, man, I'd go out and hand out tracts at Walmart and stuff like that. Back in the day, and I'm so sick of hearing about back in the day, what are you doing? Are you resting on the past, and you're thinking to yourself that because you've filled up the tank back here that you've done enough, and that God is content with that because he's not. Because like I said before, that until the day you die, God's saying, I'm always leading you into the battle. I'm always leading you into the new challenges. I'm always taking you places you've never been before and asking things of you that'll scare you to death. But that's part of it. Because I want you to grow, and you're not going to grow if you don't. And we keep saying, but I've done my part. I've done my part. We don't understand that doing our part is only when God says we're finished. You know, I hope and pray, and I've always, my, my prayer for my life, and I have prayed this for years God, just let me finish well. Just let me finish well. 
I don't want to get to the point where I give up. I don't want to get to the point where I think, you know, there comes a point where I've done enough and I don't want to do anymore. I don't want to ever get to that point. Life may change, jobs change, careers change, whatever. But guys, you can't ever come to the point in your life where you say, I'm not doing anything because God has something for you. No matter how old you are, no matter what health you're in, no matter where you are, what you're doing, God says, no, we're still, I'm, still, I'm still taking you into the land. And I want you to possess it. I want you to experience it. But if you're half-hearted in your commitment to me, then you'll never, ever experience what I have for you. Here's the third thing, third reason why I believe we're content sometimes with this. We're satisfied with what we have. In other words, we're, we're satisfied with what we have, what we possess. Now, the Jews figure they had enough. You know, they're looking at these allotments of land. These are big chunks of land. You only have 12 tribes and you have a tremendous amount of land. And so they're looking at what they've got and they think, man, we're satisfied with that. That's enough for us. What we have is fine and we don't really, really want any more. And so they weren't encouraged or motivated to go after it. And the same thing happens with us because it gets to the point where we're satisfied with our walk with the Lord. We've got enough of God that I don't really feel the need to pursue anymore. And that's a dangerous position for us to be in. God has so many things in mind, so many things that are there for us in the future. And yet we say to him, well, I've got enough of you. I said, that's all I need. I'm happy. I'm content. And we miss out on so much. I think that all of us ought to be looking ahead at all, at all times saying, okay, Lord, this time in my life is coming to an end. This ministry may be coming to an end. But where do I go from here? Because I don't believe that you want me to just sit and grow old and do nothing. You're leading me into this land, so where? What do I do next? What do you want from me next? I don't ever want to be guilty of just settling, to be satisfied. I don't want to be there. And I don't want you to be there either. I think that all of us, there needs to be a little bit of dissatisfaction, always looking ahead and thinking, okay, God, where next? What's the battle next? Whatever God has for me, that's what I want. And I don't ever want to be satisfied with where I am and what I have. Here's number four, the fourth reason why we're content. And that is that we get distracted with life. We get distracted with the things of life. Now here's what I believe. I believe the Jews come into the land. They've been fighting for seven years. And they are looking at their allotments now. They're thinking to themselves, I want to build a house. I want to plant my own fields and my own vineyards. I want to see them grow. I want to raise my family. I want to build a great big house and lots of barns. And I want to enjoy this possession that God has given me. And so they want to go about those things that we all want. Man, we all want these things. And in doing so, that's fine. This is what God said I want you to have. I'm taking you there for me. But along the way, you've got to continue to finish the job. You've got to get the enemy out because let me tell you something, guys, we're, if we go into the book, book of Judges, which I'm leaning toward 
next we're going to see the mistake that they made in not doing this. It is a horrible, horrible situation of what took place because they just simply did not obey. So yeah, they got distracted. You see, we do the same thing. We do the same thing, but what we don't understand is this. That all the things in life that we want so desperately, the things that we're, we're hoping for and, and want to take time to do, God said the way to achieve those things is through me. Through me. Let me, let me show you this verse. I'm going to go all the way back now to Joshua chapter 1. Let me show you this one verse. This is when God was talking to Joshua had told him we're going to take you into the land and what's going to happen. And he makes this statement. Now pay attention to this. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Okay, now what is he saying? He says, okay, you want to be prosperous and successful and enjoy your life and have the abundance that you're, you're wanting and, and so forth. I understand that and I want you to experience joy and happiness in this life too. But you need to understand this. You can't go out there and achieve those things without me. Because I'm going to take you there and I'm going to give it to you. Your method of acquiring the things that you want in life and whatever that may be for you, the peace, the answers to prayers, and whatever else we want as Christians in our lives, the way to achieve those things is always through me. And it means obeying. It means walking with me. It means trusting me. It means honoring me with your life and having a passion for me. You see, we need to understand that our entire life, our entire life, is hidden in Christ. He cares about all of it. And the things that we think that we can't live without, he says, I will give you these things. You know, Jesus said the same thing. He said, you put my kingdom first, and then I'll add to your life all the things that you're wanting or need. Now, that's not a blank statement saying you're going to get everything you pray for because some things aren't good for us. Somebody told me this week, I forgot who, it might have been Doyle, He said, did you know that there are four answers to prayer? I said, well, tell me what they are. He said, well, the first answer is yes. God says yes, and I'll give it to you. The second answer is no. The third answer is maybe. And the fourth answer is, you got to be kidding. (laughs) Oh, maybe sometimes that's the way it is with God. He looks at us, he says, you have got to be kidding. And he's not going to give us those things. But the things that we so desperately need in this life, yeah. God says There's, those are there for the taking. I want you to have them. But it's through me. Now, let's jump to another direction here. I want to talk about how do you correct the problem. We know that we got it. We know that we tend to just be content with it, this lukewarm attitude and so forth, and this partial uh, obedience. But how do you correct it? Here's the first of the things I'd say to you. You need to have a clear understanding of who you are in Christ. Now, uh, let me tell you something. Have you ever heard this before from me? This is you. I, I, I put this in to probably one out of ten sermons at least. When it comes to the application, here it is again. It will keep appearing in future sermons. 
because I believe with all my heart that the answer to my lukewarmness, my lack of passion, my partial obedience, is that sometimes we just don't understand who we are. Because we don't understand the grace of God. There have been numerous occasions where I've talked to people who are struggling and here, help me deal with this problem, deal with this problem. So they'll come in and we begin to talk about this. It's who you are in Christ and what he has done and what grace really means. And they tend to get impatient because they fix the problem. And you need to understand that your problem begins here. Because until you know this, until you understand all that God has done for you and given you, then you're going to continue to struggle in the area of obedience and faithfulness, trust. Let me show you a verse. Because there's a very clear connection, I believe, in the Bible between my understanding this and having the assurance of who I am in Christ and my willingness to obey, my eagerness to obey. Now watch this verse. You all know it. But I'll bet you we probably have never stopped to really think about it. Here's the verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. I want to read it out of the King James. Listen to what, how it's worded. We love him because he first loved us. We read through that real quickly and we don't stop to think about what it means, but let's pick it apart. Why do you love the Lord? We may give all kind of reasons why, but John said, no, here's the reason why you love him or should love him, is because he chose to love you first. You see, my love for him, my devotion, my commitment to him, rises out of my understanding that he loved me first. Now, you need to put this together, okay? Because if I'm struggling with my love and devotion and commitment to him, then it's probably because I don't fully understand his love for me first. I understood fully all that he has done for me and what grace really means and just how big it is. I fall to my knees and all I can do is say, thank you, Jesus, and I commit myself to serve you, not because I'm afraid, but because of my love for you. Because when I understand what you've done for me, I can't help but respond. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, here's what Paul said. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, you may read that and you think to yourself, well, he's just saying that you, we have been blessed in heaven. When we get to heaven, we'll experience these things. No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the heavenly realms, probably referring to the spirit world, the spiritual things, spiritual blessings. I'll read it again. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us in the spiritual world with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's where it's found, in Christ. He has done more than you realize. And when you realize it more and more, then you're motivated. You're motivated to walk with Him. 
You're motivated to serve him. You're motivated to love him. You have to know who you are and what you have. If you're going to get past this half-hearted obedience, this plague of, of ours as Christians, if we're going to get past it, we've got to begin with a firm understanding of who he is and what he's done for us. Here's the second thing in the way of a solution I want to share with you, and that is this. To be careful of the small compromises that we make along the way. Be careful of the small compromises that we make. This is what Israel did. They seemed so small at the time. These compromises, these decisions not to be obedient to what God had specifically told them to do, it's no big deal. Uh, these are just small little pockets, little communities of, of, of pagans, Canaanites, and so forth. And they're not enough to bother us. Fifty years from then, it became a problem. It became a real problem. When you get into the judges, you find these enemies attacking Israel. The Philistines were a thorn in their side. Years later, after that, when they get into the time of the kings, when King David, before he becomes king, goes out with his sling, who is he fighting? The Philistines and Goliath. They should have gotten rid of them, but they didn't. Little small compromise at this point in our lives grew into a tremendous stronghold throughout the land. And see, we do the same thing. We let go of little things, little sinful things that we ought to be dealing with. We don't. And pretty soon they become a stronghold in our life. This is what Paul tells us in the New Testament. And they become a real trap, a real snare, a real problem. Because now all of a sudden you've got habits that are hard to break. And it all began because we made a compromise when God said do something. We talked ourselves out of it for whatever reason. And we didn't obey. And now some of us are paying the price for that little compromise. So the second thing that I would say to you is be careful of the small compromises. Clear understanding of who you are in Christ. Don't tolerate small compromises. And thirdly is this. Stop complaining about your life and take possession of it. Stop complaining about your life and take possession of it. Let me read you this verse. Before I get there, let me set the stage. Joshua has divided up the land. He's given them all their different allotments. He's told them, now you've got to go in and finish it. You've got to go in and clean it out and get rid of the enemy. Some did, but there's probably six or seven of the tribes that didn't. And they became a real thorn in the side to the whole nation. But um, he says, go in and clean it out. Now, there were two tribes that came to him and said, now listen, the land that we have gotten, it's not going to be big enough because we need more land. The, the basic thing, we do the same thing to God. God, what, we're, what we have here, what you've given us, and in our walk with you, it's not good enough. And we, we say, woe is me. If only... You know, if only God would do this. If only God would do that. Now listen to what God tells them, okay? Joshua 17, verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You, have, you will have not only the, allot of the one allotment, 
I'm sorry, you will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it to the farthest limits, it will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Joshua, give us more. Joshua says, no. Possess what you've got. You're looking at these these Canaanites that are in the land and they have chariots and big weapons. We've already broken the backs of this, this nation. Go in and clean them out. If you can't do that, then deal with what you've got. You want a godly home? Then go make it happen. God says, I have given you all you need for godliness. I've given it to you already for life and godliness. You have at your disposal, but you won't claim it. You want to be a good parent? Then be committed to it. You have to work at it. You have to obey and you have to do, do what God has said as far as the methodology of parenting. Don't whine about it. Don't make excuses. Go do it. You want to be better, better at ministering to people? You want a, a ministry? You want to, you know, we sit around and say, oh, I wish I could do that. God says, then go do it. I've already given you that ability, the power to minister, to be involved. God wants you ministering more than you ever imagined. That's what God wants. But you've got to go do it. You want a better job? Then go get it. Don't sit around blaming somebody. Go get it. You want to be a better Christian? Man, I hear this so often. I just want to be a better Christian. Somebody make me a better Christian. God says, then you surrender. You surrender to me. Walk with me. You'll enjoy it. You'll know what it's like. You'll be a more righteous person. Guys, the sky is the limit. You understand that? Well, you and me, the sky is the limit for us and what God could accomplish with us. The way he could change your life, the things that he could do. Man, you look at your life and you evaluate it and you say, woe is me. Terrible person that made this happen. And God says, get up and possess the land. It's already yours. All the things that I mentioned here, God says they're yours. Go get them. But we don't. And our obedience is partial at best. Let me close with this verse. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this. Now he's talking about all of the things of the Christian life and what God has for him. He says, not that I have obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Christ took hold of me, the Bible says, in order that I might, the Bible says, do good works that I might be the man of God that he wants me to be, that I might walk with him, that I might be a reflection of who he is. God took hold of me that I might be a witness in the world, that I might love other people and be the a minister to other people. God took hold of me and he took hold of you for the same reason. Paul says, I haven't arrived there completely. I'm still growing. But he said, I'm pressing on. I'm taking hold. I'm possessing the land because I want to be that man. That's what I want. 
if you want to be mature, if you want to be successful, if you want to be victorious, if you want to have a life that's changed and reflects what you think that a Christian ought to be, then folks, it's yours for the taking. But it requires a different mindset and it requires an obedience that maybe you aren't used to. And it requires a commitment to walk with Him. Not half-heartedly. Let's get past the idea of, well, we're satisfied. And let's see what God could do. What could God do with you if you said to Him, no more. No more this half-hearted commitment. No more this cold passion. Because when it comes to me in my walk with you, and whether it be my attendance at church and my commitment to, to share my faith, to read my Bible, to, to do whatever, whatever God says to do, okay, God, I'm in. I'm in. And let's see what God does with it. Because I believe with all my heart that what God had in mind for Israel is vastly different than what they experienced. And it all started with what the little decision. We're tired. We're happy. We're content. Let's don't finish it. Let's just let it go. Don't let it go anymore, okay? That's my challenge. Don't let it go anymore. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not understand what grace is all about. Let me read you this verse. In 1 John 5, 13, it says this. John writes this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, underline the word know, know that you have eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is and how to get it? He tells you right there. I've written to you who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you can be absolutely sure that you can know it, that you have eternal life. That's what it, where it all begins. And that is by far the most important thing, that you put your faith in Him and trust Him. If you have any questions about that, if you want to talk about it, I would love to talk with you. Just come by, call the office, fill out that yellow card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering plate, I'll call you. And I'll be more than happy just to sit down with you and explain that to you further. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality that sometimes we're not all that we could or should be. That sometimes, Father, we settle. Sometimes we make excuses. And sometimes our obedience is half-hearted. God, may that not be the case. And may we not make the same mistake that Israel made. May we go fully into the land, possess it, enjoy it, and become the people that you want us to be. Father, help us, each individual that is here today. Father, help us to go fully into the land and to be all that you want us to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.